You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. So last March, I know it's hard to think of that long ago. Last March, my cell phone did this awesome thing in which it decided it no longer wanted to make or receive phone calls. Now, a phone that doesn't make or receive phone calls is pretty useless, right? But somehow I found a way to use it <laughs> for a long time. At, uh, my wife's prodding me to get a new phone. I kept holding off. But in March, it decided it wanted to stop making phone calls. So what I started doing was I started using Facebook to make and receive phone calls. So the phone could make and receive phone calls. So the hardware still worked. So I was holding out that it was a software issue. And so I called into Verizon and I asked him what was going on. I was like, hey, can you guys help me out? They're like, all right, we're going to send you a new SIM card. So they sent me a new SIM card. They gave me a new SIM card and I put the SIM card in and it didn't fix the problem. So then they said, you need to do a soft reset. So I did a soft reset and it reset my phone and deleted a lot of things, but kept all my pictures and, and the, the vital memory. And that didn't work. So then they said, okay, you need to do a hard reset and do a factory reset all the way back to the factory settings. It'll delete everything off your phone. So then I started backing up my phone, got it ready to go, and then I decided, so I went ahead and did the factory reset. And that didn't fix my phone. And so I had a phone that didn't make or receive phone calls until two weeks ago from March until two weeks ago, my wife's shaking her head because it was kind of nice because when people needed to call me, I just said, hey, call her. And then if it wasn't important, I'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. I don't need to make that phone call. It was great. But now you can, you can call me again. But I ordered a new phone. And so I got a new phone and I went through and I did my research and I looked up new phones and uh, what kind of uh, cool things that they could come with, what kind of memory they had, how fast they were, how long the battery lasted, and I narrowed my decision down how much they were per month. I narrowed my decision down to a couple phones, and then I ended up going ahead and ordering another Motorola, just like my old one, but uh, a different model and newer and faster and way better. So I ordered this phone, and it came in last week, and at first I was pretty pumped. I was excited. This new phone had the, you know, cool technology where you can just put your finger on it and it recognizes your fingerprint and does all that stuff and ooh cool right but then as time went on and the, the couple weeks went on I started realizing that my phone although it costs $500 new or 10 bucks a month for two and a half years or whatever it is that uh, this phone ran the exact same apps the exact same programs looked the exact same on screen as my old phone did. My old phone that was three and a half, four years old, or however old it was, not the, quite that long, two and a half years old. And it, the, the buyer's remorse started to set in. I was like, man, I'm spending all this money on a phone that does the exact same thing as my old phone did. did. And so I was like, why was I so excited about something new? Why was I so excited about ordering this new phone? Why was I so excited to get this new phone that once I got it was exactly the same as my old phone? Why do any of us order new phones? And it kind of dawned on me that it was just because it was new. It wasn't because it ran the apps any differently. It wasn't because Facebook looked new and shiny on it. It wasn't because it ran Snapchat better. It ran the exact same apps. It's the exact same app from the exact same app store. 
why was it so cool to me when I first got it? And it simply came down to just because it was new. Because I started to realize the differences between this phone and my old phone are insanely small. They're teeny tiny little details. Like, how important is it that I push a button and it recognizes my fingerprint to unlock it rather than putting in a four-digit passcode? Like, when it comes to cell phones, that really isn't important, right? But it was new. And then as I'm thinking about this new phone and having new things and how cool having something new is, I started remembering just a few weeks ago, I was out playing disc golf, me and the uh, co-intermediate disc golf champion sitting over here, we were out playing disc golf, and I had this awesome throw that uh, just kept turning right, and it went into what I'd like to call Narnia, because it was a land I had never been before, I didn't even know it existed, it was clear off the beaten path in the middle of nothing. I've never had a disc go that far over there, and, and it was just in the middle of nowhere. And as we're going to get my disc, on our way back, we had to hike forever to come back from this disc, and uh, I come across another disc just laying there on the ground, and I pick it up, and it is just disgusting, filthy, nasty. At first, I thought it was bird poop. I was like, oh, this is disgusting, so I shook it off. Nothing came off. I was like, all right, I stuck it in my bag continued on the tournament. When I got home, I took it in, let it soak in the sink, realized it wasn't bird poop, it was sap. And so I began carving off the sap off the disc, being careful not to to carve off the plastic, but just get the sap off. I spent a ton of time cleaning this disc off. Finally, I can see what brand it is. Finally, I can see the numbers on it. And then I'm all excited about this disc. This disc that had probably been sitting out in a tree for a few years, wind probably came up this year, knocked it off, and then on top of that, it was clear over in Narnia, in which nobody ever goes, and it's just been laying there forever, and I come across it, and I'm excited about this disc. Once it's cleaned off, I put it in my bag, and I take it out, and I'm just excited to throw this disc. And something dawned on me that while I was remembering this story, I had the same level of excitement for a dirty, nasty encrusted with grime disc as I had a $500 brand new cell phone. It was the same level of excitement, and it lasted almost exactly as long, a week, before the newness wore off, and it was just like, I'm holding on to a dirty, crusty 15-year-old disc in my hand. Why? Why did that have the same level of, of interest as a $500 cell phone? And then a $500 cell phone wears off just as fast as a dirty, crummy disc. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Because in America, we're pretty blessed. We're a blessed country. I, I, I use the word blessed roughly. We're wealthy. We're a wealthy country as a whole. I know there's circumstances where people don't necessarily have as much money, but for real, in, uh, on the scale of us versus the rest of the world, we are wealthy. We've got a ton of money. Even the lowest income person is still considered wealthy on a global scale in America. We are wealthy. I use the word blessed, but I don't necessarily agree with that, but I would say we are wealthy. That wealth has grown into this syndrome in which new things are necessary in order for us to feel like we're getting something out of life. Because 
when we get a new cell phone, it's not this thing that we worked and we slaved over for a few years. We finally got one and we treat it with insane amount of respect and we treat it like it's a $500 piece of equipment. Instead, we get a $500 cell phone and we treat it just the same way as we did our last cell phone. We drop it, we abuse it, we beat it up, we take it for granted, and then we're looking forward to the next new thing to get our attention for a few weeks. It comes from living in a society that is wealthy and generally, like I said, I'll use the word blessed because you get what I'm getting at. Us as Christians, we can tend to fall into that same trap because we're, we're living in the same country, we grew up in the same country. We can fall into that same trap and that tendency of craving something new. The problem is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the coolest thing that will ever happen to you as a Christian has already happened, and it's nothing in the rest of your, your Christian walk will ever amount to when you gave your life to Christ. You picking up your cross and recognizing what Jesus has already done for you is the single most important thing that will ever happen in your Christian walk, and it already happened. And so we can fall into this tendency to crave something new, something different, something shiny. And I want to warn you against it. And today that's what we're going to be preaching about. Because along comes God. And the thing about the way God does things is the way that we always want something new and shiny isn't necessarily how God treats our relationship. He isn't just constantly setting something new and shiny in front of us every, every week just to keep us entertained so that, you know, we can stay on the path. Uh, there's ups and downs when it comes to our walk with Jesus. It is, it is peaks and valleys. It is a process. He's not just going to dangle a shiny new diamond in front of your face every time you start to stray off the path. He's not going to keep things new in the sense that America craves new. When we look at the book of Hebrew, and we're going to be in Hebrew today, so if you guys want to turn to your Bibles, we'll be in Acts and in Hebrews today. But when we look in the book of Hebrews, the author is writing Hebrews to a church that was a lot like the American church at one point in time. It was a church that was blessed, that was able to grow without a whole lot, re, a lot of restriction. It was a church that was allowed to, uh, to grow with freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of just, just freedom in general. And then at one point, this church, eventually a new regime came in and took over the land, and the regime began to persecute the church. And under this persecution, the church didn't really know how to function because this church was so used to the freedoms and the blessings that went along with where they lived that under the new persecution, they had themselves struggling. They found themselves struggling, sorry. And the author of Hebrews is speaking to this church. He's speaking to a people who are Christian, just like you and me, just like other Christians across this nation. He's speaking to Christians who had accepted Christ, who accepted the grace of God. And the author is saying to them, see to it that no one misses out on obtaining the grace of God. I'll read that again. See to it that no one misses out on obtaining the grace of God. How does an already Christian, someone who already believes in Jesus Christ, 
How does somebody who's already received the grace of God miss out on obtaining the grace of God? You see this repeated a couple different places in, in the New Testament. In Galatians, you see it, it it's worded a little different, differently, and it says, and it's a warning, and it says, you have set aside the grace of God. In Galatians 5, it words it as, you have fallen from the grace of God. It's a warning. It's a statement. It's saying what has happened. How then does a follower of Jesus Christ fall away from the grace of God? A believer of Jesus Christ who has the grace of God fall away from the grace of God. How does someone who has received the free gift of salvation and the covering of our sins fall from grace? I'll tell you how. The way in which it happens is our relationship with Jesus begins to get old. And we decide we want something new. We allow our relationship with God to fall at the wayside because it's old and dusty and not really relevant to us in our daily life. And we decide we want to pick up something new and shiny instead. Our relationship with Jesus starts to become a phrase. It becomes a statement. It becomes a day in which we go to church. It becomes a religious jargon. It becomes a a prayer that we say over and over and again in our head. It becomes going to church on Sunday, going to Chi Alpha on Tuesday, maybe even going to small group on Thursday or Monday. But that's where we start to keep it because that's what we got to do in order to be a good Christian. And all the time outside of that place is ours because we want something new and shiny. So how do we know? How do we know when our relationship with Jesus Christ has lost the newness and has become old and dusty and we've started to miss out on what God has to offer us because we're stagnant and we're stuck because we've taken and pushed aside what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'll tell you how. When you go up to somebody and you're like, man, I really just feel like God doesn't love me anymore. I feel like God doesn't care about me anymore. And this person repeats back to you, John three sixteen, and he, he starts off and he says, man, for God so loved the world. And our response is, yeah, I don't really care about that, you know, elementary school answer. I know that scripture. I have it memorized. I've had it memorized since I was three. I want something more, more significant. I want you to tell me something that I've never heard before. I want you to teach me something to, to make me really realize that God loves me. Because right now, I just don't feel loved by God. And we get bitter against the people who give us what we would call Sunday school answers. I've been there. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there. I've been there. I've been in that place where I just want some new teaching, some innovative thought process to change my relationship with God because I feel like I haven't heard from God in a long time. And when somebody tells me, hey, man, you don't need to hear from God all the time because he's got scripture. Just get in your Bible. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's a great answer. You guys know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. And if you haven't, you will at some point in your walk with Christ. 
And I want to warn you against that and to fight it and to make sure that your relationship with God is constantly new and you recognize it as being new constantly. Because <clears throat> within Hebrew or uh, Hebrews, the Jews were falling into the same temptation of that as we do as Christians in America. They had the same kind of temptations. They had the same kind of situation. They had the same kind of struggles. In countries where persecution exists, it's easy not to lose sight of the newness of God because you are under constant attack from people who don't follow Jesus, people who aren't Christian. And every single day with Jesus is a struggle because you have to decide whether or not you're going to serve Jesus today because you might lose your life. That helps keep Christ new and relevant. But in a country where you're not persecuted, where you have freedom of religion, and if I walk out into the student center and I proclaim Jesus Christ, nobody's going to shoot me. Nobody's going to take me out. Nobody's going to, maybe they might scream names at me or tell me to shut up. It becomes easy in a world like this for us to lose sight of the newness of Christ. Because the grace of God is not a concept. The grace of God is not a feeling. The grace of God is not a a bubbly feeling inside of us. The grace of God is not goosebumps during worship. The grace of God is a person who had flesh on, who has flesh on. The grace of God was Jesus and is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the grace of God. He was a gift to us. So that in him and through him, we are able to receive salvation. We are made new. We are made as if we are standing in front of God, a brand new creation. It's because Jesus Christ came to earth. He became flesh and blood. He gave his life to be crucified. That is the grace of God. When we allow the grace of God to no longer become new to us, we've lost the importance of Jesus Christ in our life. Because Jesus never gets old. He never gets dusty. Jesus never becomes some, some head knowledge, some scripture we memorized when we were in fifth grade. It is great news that should not only transform our lives, but it should define our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. The grace of God should define our lives. But then as a Christian, we get tired we get bored, life begins to beat us up a little bit, we might lose a family member, might fail a test, we might fail a class, we might get in a car wreck, we might have something happen to us that kind of beats us up, we begin to get a little bitter, and before we know it, we've taken the grace of God, we've set it on a shelf in a closet, allowing for the newness of God to wear off. And we begin to put it in a little box, and we set the box on the shelf, and it just kind of sits there. And we turn our relationship with Christ into a religious routine in which we go to church on Sunday, we go to Chi Alpha, we go to small group, as I've said before, because it's what a good Christian would do. And that even though we pretend that everything is going good, Deep down, we know that we're lying to ourselves because we've allowed the awesomeness that is the grace of God to sit in a closet and get dusty. 
First off, we're going to be in Acts, starting in chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 8. I believe starting in 18, right? I have 8 here, but it's 8.18, right? Not 18.8. I wrote the wrong thing on my notes, and she saw it. Man, he is upset. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are, I want you to listen to this part. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. That's interesting. I, I found that so interesting because Simon saw what happened. And he was intrigued and he decided he wanted it. So he goes up to them and he asks if he can buy the ability to do this. And he says, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. How is somebody so intrigued in the Holy Spirit and somebody so intrigued into the gifts of the Spirit and laying of hands to receive the Holy Spirit that the person could respond with, that any of us could respond with, that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin? Simply because Simon wanted the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Simon wanted the ability to lay hands. Simon wanted these things for his own glory, for his own purpose, for his own edification, for his own enjoyment, his own, whatever you want to insert the word here. I called him out, said, you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Next up, turn to Hebrews 12. If you guys have your Bibles, Hebrews 12. We'll be starting in verse 11. If not, it'll be on the screen. And keep that in mind. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. There's that thing I was repeating over and over again earlier in the sermon. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I'm going to read that again. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. 
Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You guys remember the story of Esau? If you don't, I encourage you to look it up. It is in Genesis. Basically what happened is Esau comes in. He's starving hungry. He feels like he's going to die. He's going to die. He's so hungry. And so he's offered a bowl of soup. And Esau says, or he's offered a bowl of soup for his birthright. And Esau is like, you know what, what's the point? What's the point of a birthright if I'm going to die of starvation? Whatever. Yeah, sure. And he lives. He loses his birthright. I feel like Esau, who traded his birthright for a meal, treated his birthright the same way that we treat Jesus. We want Jesus to help us. We want his grace. But we get so caught up on having things right now. Things provided for us right now. Solutions right now. We get so caught on, up on having things right now. We want the, the next thing that's brand new. So much so that we lose sight of the grace of God. So much so that we lose sight of Jesus Christ. And so we lose our inheritance like Esau. We allow bitterness to grow inside of us. We lose sight of the grace of God. And we're hungry like Esau. And we choose the food over the birthright. See, we're feeling so alone sometimes that we sell God's grace for feeling loved by some guy or some girl, even if only for a a night. We feel so alone that we sell ourselves to maybe a video on a sketchy website. Or we might sell our inheritance, sell our birthright for a job, sell our birthright for a career, sell our birthright for a guy or a girl who doesn't believe the same things as we believe. And we've been asking God to do things in our lives, to change things in our lives for so long. And we feel like maybe God isn't answering our prayers right this moment. Right this second, we aren't getting those answers right when we feel like we deserve them. And we eventually begin to resolve to just push God into a corner, set him on a shelf, allow him to get dusty, allow that bitter root to grow up in us against him. We get so caught up in having those answers right now that we lose our birthright. But can I tell you from experience, right now is overrated. Having things right this second doesn't allow us to grow as people, doesn't allow us to grow as Christians. I've figured out that in the times in which I have grown the most as a follower of Jesus Christ, haven't been on the peaks. The times in which I have grown the most as a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ have been in those deep, deep valleys in which I felt like God was the farthest away from me. 
but I persevered and I continued to keep my eyes fixed on the grace of God, keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, kept pressing into him and, and trying to continue spending time with him, to continue learning about him, to continue growing in him, to continue teaching others about him. And in those deepest, darkest places, oftentimes in which I come out of them and I'm standing in a peak, I can look back and I'm like, man, I have learned so much from that time period. I have learned so much from that period in which I just persevered and I just, just kept pressing in. And I didn't sell myself short for something shiny that the world had to offer me. But it can be hard for us sometimes because sometimes we're feeling pain. We're feeling alone. We're feeling lost. We're feeling confused. And we want God to change all of these things in our lives right this second. But the difference is when we first gave our life to Christ, we began following him for him. We began following Jesus for Jesus. We began following for Jesus. We gave, gave our life to Christ. We, we grow in Christ because we do it for him. Not because he's going to change our life. Not because he's going to fix us. Not because he's offered some magical solution to all of the problems in the world. We do it because of what he's done. And we recognize what he has already done. And we serve him for him. And so how do we keep things new? We keep the focus on Jesus. We make sure we're doing things for him, not because it's going to fix us, not because it's going to cure us. That's exactly what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews is all about pressing into God, running the race the right way, pursuing Christ above all else, and persevering through the crap and the garbage and the trash. Because I want to be, I know about me, I, I'm not going to speak for any of the rest of you guys. But I want to be the kind of Christian that I love Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what kind of hardship comes in my life. Someone has a gun pointed at my head, is going to pull the trigger and says, do you love Jesus Christ? I want to be able to say yes. I don't want to turn my back on Jesus every time life gets hard. I don't want to be the kind of person that, runs into the world, runs after the world, runs after money, women, uh, whatever it is, desire, job, prestige in life. Every time life gets hard, no, I, I want to run after Jesus Christ every time life gets hard. Through the thick and the thin. <clears throat> so let me tell you guys the inspiration of this sermon. I'm going to be real with you guys. I'm going to level with you guys. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys today. Let me tell you about the inspiration to this sermon. So a few weeks ago, I was chilling on Facebook, you know, because that's what we do, because things. And one of my best friends in high school, probably my best friend in high school, posted a picture of him watching TV and sitting right in front of him was a Bible open with Scripture highlighted. And he said, uh, just reading some Scripture, 
uh, just getting a little bit of Jesus in while watching the game. And this absolutely stopped me in my tracks because back then, me and him, let's just say we weren't believers. And I immediately messaged him. I'm like, hey, dude, I didn't know you were a Christian. And in what followed is a pretty awesome conversation about God back and forth, about the things that God has done in his life, the things that God has done in my life, apologizing for things that we've done in the past to each other, uh, the, the dumb situations that we got ourselves into, that I got myself into. Uh, because back then, back in high school, when we were best friends, the only thing that mattered to me was beer, sports, and girls. And as much of that, all three of them, as I could possibly have. And I remembered the kind of person I was. And I, kind of, and I remembered the kind of person that he was. And I was like, man, Jesus has really changed this guy. Jesus has radically changed this guy. This is not the same person that I was best friends with in high school. This is a totally different person. And I was thinking about it a little bit more, and I was like, man, sometimes I forget, I forget that God can change people like that. I forget that God can just radically transform people's lives. And God kind of slapped me at that moment. He's like, bro, have you forgotten what I brought you out of? I was like, yeah, I guess so. If I'm sitting here in awe of what you've done in his life, I've obviously forgot the fact that six months before I found Jesus, I was laying in a bed in a jail cell crying, literal tears, crying out to God, saying, if you're real, fix me. See, I've forgotten that aspect of my life. I might share my testimony, but just because I remember it in here, I've forgotten it in my heart. I'd forgotten the kind of person that I was. And the person I am now compared. And I've forgotten that all of that, all of that change and transformation over the years was because of the grace of God. And especially throughout this last year. Just being vulnerable with you guys. This last year, from Courtney getting a phone call about a year ago, telling her that her grandma had passed away, to December getting a phone call from my dad in tears, telling me I needed to hurry it up and get to Omaha as fast as I could because they didn't think my mom was going to live through the night to arriving in Omaha at my mom's hospital bed mere minutes after she had passed away and not getting to say goodbye, to a few days later just needing to get out of town and coming back to Shadron and hitting a deer and nearly totaling our car, having to borrow a friend's car in order to even go to my mom's funeral because we didn't have a vehicle that could even make it to Alliance. To a few weeks later, just a few weeks after my mom passed, having to compose myself and bring 24 college students down to Houston for the World Mission Summit. And the entire trip there, 
having to tell my wife that everything was going to be okay because at that point in time, her Crohn's disease was getting so out of control that she was barely even able to keep down food and having to compose myself to present myself as composed so that my college students could enjoy their trip. To over the next few months, my wife's Crohn's disease getting so bad that by about every other week, we were toying with the idea of admitting her to the hospital because it just kept getting worse and worse. To eventually, by the time school was out and graduation was happening, having to take my wife to the ER and have her be in and out of consciousness for a few days, hooked up to an IV and an antibiotic, and sitting by her side telling her everything was going to be okay. And then a few weeks later, having a student commit suicide. And even though there's even more that continued to happen, I think you guys are getting the point of what my last year was like. And somewhere along that line, I allowed the newness of Jesus Christ to wear off. And I allowed a little bit of bitterness to take root. Just a little bit of bitterness. And then here I was having a conversation with a friend, reminiscing with an old friend, and at the same time a new friend, because he has been made a new creation in Christ. And he is a totally different person than the friend I used to have. I'm having this conversation with him, and because of what the grace of God has done in his life, we're able to be friends again. And I sat and I realized that through all of that pain and all of that frustration, that I can't pinpoint a day or time, but I allowed the newness and the shininess of God's grace to wear off. And then I heard God's voice ask me, Tanner, when did I become not enough? When did I become not enough? So tonight I'm simply just going to ask you guys, have you set aside the grace of God? Have you allowed bitterness to take root in your relationship with God? Have you accepted the grace of God in the first place? If the answer is yes, even just a hint, like I said, it was just a hint of bitterness because I was still able to read scripture and I was still able to pray. I was still able to to tell other people about Jesus and how awesome he is. But there was a hint of bitterness that had grown over the past year inside of me. So ask yourself tonight, Bryson, could I get you to shut those backlights off? Ask yourself tonight, have I set aside the grace of God? If the answer is yes, you don't have time. There's no more time that is better than right now to make things right. So we've got our leadership up here. My wife's going to be available. I'm going to be available. If you need prayer, tonight is the night. But whether you come up for prayer or whether you pray in your seats, if you have set aside the grace of God, do not leave these doors. Do not leave this room until you have made things right with them. Let me give you some time. I want you to spend some time with God.
If you need prayer, the altars are open. I'll come back in a few minutes and close out. can see the graphic for today's sermon seems kind of contradictory, right? The grace of God, but I have a picture of a desert. I don't know if you guys actually thought of this. I actually put a little bit of thought into my sermon graphics. Usually there's a specific reason why I chose the background, why I chose it to look the way it looks. Sometimes it just is a title screen, like the last sermon series we did of the vintage throwbacks. It was just a record. It just looked cool. But this one in particular, the reason I chose the desert wasn't because the grace of God is like a desert. The reason I chose the desert is because the grace of God gets us through the desert. That when life sucks, when life gets hard, when life gets rough, when the things in life stop making sense, There's always one thing that we can hold true, and that is the grace of God. One thing that always makes sense, and it's the grace of God. And so when you're going through a desert, if you're not in a desert right now, you either just came out of one or you're going to go into one. Deserts are a part of the valley of our walk with Christ. We go through the ups, we go through the downs. There is no just flat line. When you're going through the desert, especially when you're going through the desert, keep your focus on the grace of God. I'm not saying he's going to fix the desert. I'm not saying the rain's going to come and this desert's going to be full of grass and fruit. What I'm saying is God's going to give you the strength to get through the desert. God's going to encourage you. God's going to grow you, especially even when it doesn't feel like you're growing. Even when it feels like you're stuck, even when it feels like you just can't figure out what's going on, God never allows a single opportunity of our lives to go to waste. There's always a lesson that can be learned, something that can grow us, something he can teach us in order to ultimately bring himself glory. And so tonight, as we wrap up tonight's sermon and We get ready to send you out on your way. The reason why we meet at McDonald's is strategic just as well as the graphic on this picture. The reason I ask you guys to come and hang out with us at McDonald's is multiple reasons. First reason, fellowship. Have conversations with each other. Look around this room. These are the people that get where you're at. They understand where you're at. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the people that you can talk to about your struggles. These are the people that can pray for you, that you can lean on for help. And so I ask you guys to come hang out at McDonald's for that aspect, to get closer to each other, to get to know each other better. But at the same time, I ask you guys to come hang out at McDonald's to kind of decompress a little bit. Sometimes sermons can be tough. Sometimes they're, uh, sometimes they're awesome and fun and all about God's love. Sometimes they're hard and we cry and it's emotional and God points out some pain inside of us that we need to deal with. And so I ask you guys to come to McDonald's to decompress a little bit. To not forget the lesson that was learned here tonight. Do not forget the lesson. 
but decompress a little bit and come and hang out with us. So as always, as we close, I'm going to pray us out. Lord, I ask every single student here, that every single student here would be self-aware of their relationship with you. Lord, that if they're going through a desert, Lord, that they would know they're going through a desert. If they're struggling with the newness of you, that they'd be aware of it. If they've been dealing a little bit too much with the world, that you would make it aware to them, make them aware of it. And then, Lord, I pray that these students would find that newness of you. Lord, that they would keep their eyes set on you, that your grace would be enough for them, that they would no longer turn to the world for that fleeting moment of satisfaction for the deception of what the enemy has for them, but Lord, that they would keep their eyes fixed on you. I pray that you would give them strength to reach out to their brothers and sisters in Christ when they're struggling. God, you would help them to realize that they're not alone. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.